This is Amateur Logic, episode 79 for June 2015. Attack of the Scope Squid. This episode of Amateur Logic was brought to you by MFJ, the world leaders in ham radio accessories at mfjenterprises.com, and by ICOM. Get out and get mobile. ICOM has a radio to get you operating on your next adventure. And by DX Engineering. DX Engineering offers practically everything you need to outfit your shack, plus the fastest shipping in the industry. In-stock items ship the same day, Monday through Friday until 10 p.m. Eastern. For more information, visit DXEngineering.com. Amateur Logic, episode 79. I'm George. I'm Tommy. And I'm Peter. And we've got a fun show lined up for you tonight. This is our first episode from the studio here in a couple of months. Yeah, it is. It's uh, it's good to be back. It is good to be back. We were in Dayton last month. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. But I do want to mention that while we're doing this show, we have a chat room. And if you'd like to just kind of chat with us while we're streaming live, you can go to this address right here. And that'll tell you, um, well, you'll, you'll see everyone who's in there right now. They've got a conversation going on that we'll peek in every now and then and bring something off of that into the show. Yeah. And and if you're in the YouTube uh, chat room for the stream, we cannot see that one. So come over to the one that you see on the screen now so we can so you can participate with everybody else. Yep, yep. We'd like you to be there. Uh, and this is only during uh, times when we're live streaming. When we're not streaming, uh, there's probably not going to be anyone in the chat room there. We just uh, don't, don't man it through the month, just strictly during the streams. Well, we've got a bit of sad news uh, that we got a report today. Our good friend, Bill Pasternak, WA6ITF, became a silent key today. Uh, Bill is is known to the amateur radio community as being the creator of Amateur Radio Newsline. He did that, oh, I don't know how many years, but I think over 30 years. Yeah, it was a long time. He That was a great resource. He provided great service to the ham radio community. It really was. He'll and definitely be missed. He'll be missed. I believe uh, Don Wilbanks and uh, Skeeter Nash are trying to coordinate. They had been talking with Bill in the past week about continuing with Amateur Radio Newsline and how they were going to do that. I think they'll have it up, back up and running soon. I know Bill would really uh, would really like to see someone pick it up and yeah, I was kind of wondering what would happen to that, but yeah. uh, I guess we'll wait and see what, what right. comes out of it. Yeah, I think they'll have it gum- coming back up in one form or another. Well, we were talking about uh, last month's episode. Well, we had a fun time in Dayton, didn't we? Yeah, it was a great time. Like It's always a great time. We uh, set up in the ICOM booth there. They provided a, a stage for us. And you see those lab coats that people are wearing there? Well, as a matter of fact, us people. people? 
Yeah. Place. Wonder, if, wonder yeah. where you were going with that. Well, and everyone who was working in the ICOM booth there had one of those lab coats. I wish you could see it a little better. It's not that great in the image there. You, you, well, you can see on mine there, it's got ICOM on the pocket. You can see it on Ray's, too. And on the rear of it, it's got AmateurLogic.tv. We can and show one. There you go. AmateurLogic well, Hamvention 2015. Okay. Yeah. And the ICOM logo on the front. Yeah, they're pretty nice. Yeah. Every, everyone working there in the ICOM booth had one, and we had them for the show there, too. We gave away one on the air. Uh, that lucky winner is uh, Gerald Pemberton, K0IKZ. So congratulations, Gerald. We'll be sending that out to you this week. Know you're going to enjoy it. Uh, we've got a few more of those, don't we, Tom? Yeah, we do. we got probably about a half a dozen of them left, I think. Okay, so we're going to be giving those away, too. We've got to figure out exactly how we're going to do it, and we'll try to come up with a way before the show's over. And if you'd like to win one of those lab coats, well, maybe you can. Yeah, yeah, they're uh, great for wearing pretty much anywhere. Anywhere, yeah. You could uh, wear it to the hospital, um, wear it to your workbench. Yeah, when you get out of the shower. Yeah, wear it to church, you know, to the restaurant. Just anywhere that you'd like to promote amateur logic. Hamfest? Hamfest. It would be perfect for the Hamfest. Great Hamfest attire. As a matter of fact, field day. There you go. You know, you just put on that and then course, it hangs down so low you can take everything else off. Of course, <laughs> of course, I think Gerald's the only one that'll have one by field day unless you happen to be in Dayton and want it then. I think so, yep. Uh, well, let's see. What else is going on? Well, the Voice of America made an announcement. This week, uh, they are getting two new board members there. It's going to be uh, Clyde Gray of the Sims Township, Ohio. He's a former Cincinnati WCPO news anchor. And Joe Gruber uh, of Westchester is a former sales and marketing executive at Intel Corporation. These guys are going to be on the National VOA Museum of Broadcasting's Policymaking Board of Directors. Go to the link here for the complete story there. Yesterday, no, actually it was Wednesday, was a uh, a special day for... Uh, ham nation yeah 200th episode 200th episode of ham nation we celebrated that this past wednesday night uh we had had a everyone there uh well almost everyone as many as we could fit in this little box here the guy down there in the bottom right you might recognize him yeah that's the guy from the blues brothers it is the guy (laughs) dancing on the table yeah i knew i've seen him somewhere before it's our friend Joe Walsh, WB6ACU of the James Gang. Yeah, the Eagles. The Eagles, solo artist. And he's played on so many albums that you would never never realize that he had played on. I heard a song this past week uh, on the uh, streaming station I was listening to. And the artist was uh, the Michael Stanley Band. And the guitar part in there, I said, that's that's got to be Joe Walsh playing. I mean, because you could just oh, tell yeah. by the sound of it. I went and did some searching on Wikipedia there, and sure enough. Yeah, he's got a distinct style. He does. Sure. Distinct style in his, his instrument. He, You know, he's he's got some distinct sounds that uh-huh. uh, you just don't hear other guitarists using. So yeah. uh, He was really interesting to watch on there. He He's was. An interesting guy. Yeah, go go check it out. Uh, let's see, it's twit.tv slash HN, uh, episode 200, and um, see what we were talking about with Joe. He hung around for the whole hour. 
Yeah, you guys had a special event station for the 200th anniversary we, show, too, didn't we? We did some special event stations, too. All the uh, regular net controls there on HF uh, got together and organized it and uh, applied and got the three-letter calls. We had W6H, W0H, and just a, a, a whole bunch of more WHs. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Maybe we ought to try that when our 10th anniversary comes up. Maybe so. That's coming soon. Be fun. We haven't done that yet. Yeah, and so the event lasted for a week, and I don't know that we've we've heard the total number yet on exactly how many contacts were made, but the pileups were just unreal. Man. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty amazing. There, there, you know, it was the net controls mainly who were doing this for the week, but the the show host came in and operated some as, mm-hmm. as well with our own call signs. And I did, um, I did several hours worth over the week, and boy, some of them. I mean, I have not heard that big a pileup trying to, you know, call a DX station before. Yeah, that was pretty, pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. I didn't do so well though. I only made two hundred fifty-five contacts because I'm not, I'm not that good at contesting and uh, and that type of thing. You know, my my forte is. Uh, Building stuff and chewing on a rag. Yeah. 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 Well, you did pretty good. I heard you on there, so. Yeah, a lot of people, and I'm glad we could make contact with those that we did and the rest of them that we couldn't. Sorry, you know, we tried. Yeah. But I purposely tried to pick up some of the weaker stations. Yeah. You know, and uh, and it was kind of, oh, it was just kind of amazing to me the way that uh, the whole thing worked. I was on 20 meters. But you could tell throughout the evening as the band changed, all of a sudden I would get a lot of calls coming out of Washington State. Yeah. And then five minutes later, everybody that I was talking to was from Connecticut. Yeah. You know, it's just, you could just, just see the band the shifting around. Yeah, you know? I, I noticed that too. It's pretty neat. Yeah. Is that due to what they call the gray line? That's, you know, uh, the point at dusk yeah. when uh, reception improves? No, the, the time I was operating was already after dark. Yeah, it was well past yeah. dark. And, uh, you know, when 20 meters might not be the best band. But uh, it, it was working good uh, that particular week. I made uh, several contacts to Germany and Russia and, you know, several other mm-hmm. European countries. Cool. A lot of fun. Well... Let's get on into a few of our emails here. Tommy, I think you've got the first one here tonight. All right. I've got one from Bill, W8WCL. Hi, Tommy. From what I understand, there's a way to shut down the Raspberry Pi using commands from your radio. This is in conjunction with the G4KLX software. I saw this mentioned at the DV Commander website, but no specific directions on how to do it. Doesn't seem like any wiring is necessary, just software commands. It would be helpful if this information could be used for one of the amateur logic shows. And, and you're right, Bill. It is that is a good idea. I've actually got it on my list of segments, and it's not that hard to do. I'll probably be doing that here in the near future. Cool. Um, but it, yeah, it's pretty nice. Uh, just kind of set uh, some of the commands in your D-Star radio mm-hmm. and send them, and it'll shut your pie down. That's, that's yeah. pretty cool. A, a quick question for you, Tommy. Actually, regarding the pie, um, if you just switch your pie off. Can that sometimes corrupt your uh, little SHDC disk? Um, oh, most, it, most definitely it can. Yeah. So it's so. important to shut the Pi down properly, in other words. Yeah, uh, shut, shut the operating system down. Yeah, absolutely. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, just a, a reboot as well. So um, I, I did that uh, segment on using the button for it. It's been actually quite popular. I've had a lot of people comment yeah. about it. Um, but uh, it's a good idea to shut it down. Yeah. Peter, what have you got there? I've got an email here from Sam, VK3ASO, and he says, uh, he's in Victoria, by the way, can you get some hired goons to make sure everyone attends the next field day, LOL? That must be getting close. Start making some preparations. The interesting thing is uh, this email appears to be dated May the 7th, and um, I went back and checked the dates of um, on the WIA website, and the John Moyle Field Day is actually from March the 21st to the 22nd. So uh, you know, he's, uh, he actually missed it by a month or two. Oh. But, uh, well, I suppose we could get start get, getting prepared for next March's uh, John Moyle Field, Field Day. He, um, he could but, be. Uh, I might actually have a go next year. It could be a bit, a bit of fun with my little portable radio I've got up here. He could be talking about our field day here that's coming up, what, in another week or so. Yeah, uh, about two weeks. Two weeks. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Do we have enough? So are you guys all ready for that? Do we have enough money in the budget to hire some goons? Well, may, we may have to get some kids from school or something. There you go. Right. Mm. We, we wanted to do field day. The location that we had last year, the church, yeah. uh, unfortunately, it's not going to be a, available that weekend. Yeah, so we kind of yeah we have an alternate plan, but it wouldn't be our own site. Um, yeah, but I, uh, I don't know. We're just we'll have to see. We'll have to see what we're we going to definitely do something. But uh, anyway, looking forward to that. Well, Tommy, I think maybe it's time that we we get on into uh, some of the segments here that people have been tuning in to see. You got something yeah. new recently, didn't you? Yeah, I did. When I was at Dayton, I got a a well here. Take a look. I have what I think is some good information for you guys this month. A lot of you know I use a DV Mega. I also use my DVAP inside of my DHAP. <laughs> it's almost a tongue twister. But I've got this from Harden Power Systems. It's, you've seen it on the show before. It's got the voltage readout. There's a battery inside. came with a charger. You can charge it up and take it with you anywhere. Well, with the popularity of the DV Mega... Uh, Harden Power Systems has come up with another device called the DHAP Mini Mega. It's a neat little device. It doesn't come with the battery and charger like the other one did, but it's got the same basic features. Uh, got the voltage readout, there's a power switch on the bottom, antenna jack, power jack for a 2 amp power supply that I ordered off of Amazon.com for just a few bucks. It was pretty cheap. It also comes with a standoff to hold the pie in place and secure the DV Mega board and the screws to attach all of it. My DV Mega I've had for a while. That's one of the first ones I think and I've got it on an old Raspberry Pi Model B, the 512 meg version. and. It doesn't actually fit in the new box. This box was designed for a B plus or a Raspberry Pi 2. And I happen to have a brand new Raspberry Pi 2 here still in the box that we're going to use today to get that going. So I spent a lot of time on my image on my SD card. It's an 8 gig card and I went through all the steps on the show here. You saw it and got it set up just like I wanted and I've been using it pretty much the same way since I did it. 
Uh, it's been super reliable. I want to use this case. One thing I didn't mention is it has a place to put some lithium ion batteries. So I ordered four of them and they're an odd size. I haven't done anything with them before. They're 18650s and I got 4000 amp hour uh, lithium ions and they'll snap right into the top here. You can use either two or four. And I went ahead and got four for the maximum capacity. So what I want to do is I want to take this image, back it up, and put it on this other 8 gig micro SD card that fits in my Pi 2 since the larger SDs won't fit in there. Now I've got a little bit of an issue. This one actually shows up as, I believe it's 7.9 gigabytes available and this one shows up as 8.1 so I'm hoping if I restore this that it's going to work because this card is not nearly full. Today I'm going to use Apple Pie Baker and it's kind of like Win32 Disk Imager for you Windows users. I believe it'll work the same way so let's give it a go. I'm going to go ahead and back up and restore the card. Let's pick the right disk and give it a name and the location. Now let's eject the card and put the new card in. Now let's find the file we saved and click restore and we're good to go. Okay, now that's done. You saw there was a warning about the size and I knew that was coming so let's see if it'll boot up before I go to the trouble of mounting it into the box. Test it out. I've got an HDMI cable run over to my TV and I'm going to plug it up just so I can see if it boots. And I've got my dongle for my Wi Fi keyboard. I'm going to use the Wi Fi dongle that I've been using with my DV Mega that's already set up for this image. So that should make all the hardware happy. So let's put the SD card in. Now let's power up and see if it boots up. And voila, it did boot up. And I see my application is already running. Well, that proves out that that is going to work. So now that it's down, I'll remove the power. Remove the HDMI cable since we're finished with that. And let's go ahead and mount it in our new DHAP Mini Mega. Harden Power Systems did a really nice job designing this box. Everything fits in pretty nicely. Now, one, one concern I had with mine was if you'll take a close look at it, you'll see that the antenna connector comes out of mine at a right angle where, where the newer ones come straight up. I did buy another connector in case I needed to swap it out, but I don't think I'm going to have to unsolder that and put a new one on. And we'll remove the DV Mega from the old Raspberry Pi. And again, here's what I was talking about, about mine coming out at an angle. It wouldn't be that hard of a job to unsolder those five little uh, pins right there and, and replace it. But I think we may get by without that. First of all, it did come 
with some instructions on about the external power, about the batteries, the voltmeter, and a little quick uh, diagram on how to install it. And it's pretty self-explanatory. First thing we're going to have to do is make sure we have this power connector attached because once you put the board in, it's going to be pretty impossible to get that on there. So let's do that first. And let's fit the pie down inside the box. And it's it's snug, so you're going to have to work with it a little bit, but it, it will go. One thing I like about it, everything's a, a really nice, tight, and uh, secure fit. You can tell it was designed exactly with the right tolerances. There we go. Had one of the power leads under the corner of my board. Pay attention to the diagram. It shows the length of the screws that go in which holes. So don't don't mess that up because they're they're only going to fit the right way. So what we're going to do is get the screws out. We've got a half inch and a quarter inch. So I'm going to put the quarter inch in first. And we've got the antenna turned this way so the diagram matches. Let's figure out how the standoff for the DV Mega is going to fit. Should fit right across here perfectly. And then the half inch and the quarter inch screws are going to hold it all in place. So let's go ahead and put those in. If you drop the screw, you're it's probably not going to work out well because you may have to take it apart to get the screw out from under the board. So be careful about that. Okay. Okay, the, the black clip actually took the two half inch screws, not a quarter and a half. So my bad on that. It's such a tight fit, it's a little bit tedious to put it together, to get everything in there, but it can be done. Now if that's done, let's plug our little DV Mega board on. And it'll go right here on the end, on the same pins as before. First of all, because mine has the angle adapter on it, I'm going to go ahead and screw the antenna connector on to make sure that I don't get myself in a bind. And put it kind of snug. Now let's go ahead and plug this on. I think I would have liked Phillips head screws on here just a little bit better because these little Allen head wrenches here are so small they're kind of hard for my hands to keep a grip off, but I mean it's not a big deal. Just would have been a little bit easier to put together. I've already got my card in, but there is an access hole here for it. Okay, I've got a tight fit here, so I'm going to have to route my cables. And there we go. Let's put the antenna on. I couldn't get the, the angle adapter to fit on tight so that my antenna would go on vertically. So I, there was a small gold lock washer behind it, so I pulled that off 
Now let's see if that'll work. I'll let you. It looks like we're going to have enough room now. Let's go ahead and use the AC power. I didn't really charge those batteries up. They just came straight from Amazon like that. So we'll go to the AC until I put them on charge good. The power goes right here. One thing, let's don't forget our Wi-Fi dongle. I don't think I'm going to need the keyboard. I usually don't keep a keyboard attached to this one. So it's plugged in right there. And we should be good to go. I've got my handy talkie on and it's set up for my DV Mega. And let's hit the power. See what happens. Twelve volts. Give it a second to boot up. I'm going to link to uh let's just do one Charlie. R-E-F-0-0-1-Charlie. Well, that wasn't too bad. It, uh, I will go ahead and update the distribution that I'm running using apt-get dist update, this, this command right here, actually, and make sure I've got the latest kernel using the firmware update right here. Get more information on the DHAT Mini Mega over at Hardened Power Systems right here. And uh, let me know what you think about it. It comes in other colors other than the yellow, but uh, kind of like the yellow. 73. It's a nice looking little box, Tommy. Yeah, it is nice. And uh, the, si the size is nice. I tell you, you know, I've, uh, I, I do rec I recommend the box for, for that usage. But a comment about it, it's so well made and detailed. And they, he made those apparently with a 3D printer. Mm -hmm. So I'm man, I'm just like you right really on the won't. edge. I, I do because um, I, I don't think I could come up with the detail work like like those guys did when they did that. But uh, the tolerances are so fine on it, and, and everything fits so perfect in the holes. Were perfectly lined up. It's it's pretty amazing that that they did that. Yeah, it it did look pretty nice. You know, I saw it. You got it when we were in Dayton, uh -huh. and I looked at it there in the hotel room and. It was pretty slick looking. You need to go ahead and just break down and get that printer, oh, so yeah. I don't have to. I really, I really need to. Yeah. I'm just dying to. But uh, the, Tommy, the box is pretty awesome. Huh? Tommy, on the subject of 3D printers, um, I know on Know How, which is a Twitch show, uh, Father Robert, yeah, was actually um, showing off a fairly low cost 3D printer. Yeah, which uh, oh, yeah. might interest you. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, but I haven't seen that. Worth checking out. Yeah, I saw that uh, recently. I, I haven't watched it. I just saw that they were talking about one that was substantially less money than... Yeah, you know, they're not all made the same. Yeah. Um, looking at this one, uh, the the box, and how fine and smooth mm -hmm. everything is in there, and then looking at uh, a couple of those that I saw at Dayton, the parts that they were made off of it and how coarse they were with the... And you could see the lines where it laid down the filament yeah. material... Um, so I, I want to. I want one that's going to make smooth parts. Yeah, so I, I think one comment I heard was that you get a, a less expensive uh, 3D printer, and you do your prototyping and you get the design like you want it, and then you send it out and have somebody else make the real thing for you on a. Oh yeah. One. Yeah. That sounds sensible. Yeah. yeah. 
Interesting. That's one way to handle it. Well, we're going to get a message right now from one of the sponsors of Amateur Logic, and we'll be back in just a moment. Are you looking for a tuner that's so plug-and-play that you'll barely notice it's there? The MFJ 939 is the tuner you've been looking for. With a plug-and-play cable to match your choice of radio, this versatile tuner can be connected to all modern or classic HF transceivers. This is truly a tuner that's easy to connect and easy to operate. On supported radios, it can tune your antenna automatically, so there's no need to do anything but enjoy your time on the air. To give you peace of mind, this tuner has an audible SWR meter that can give you instant feedback. This tuner can match your radio with antennas that have an SWR up to 32 to 1. That's a 50% wider matching range than competing products that are less capable and higher priced. It can tune your coax fed or random wire antennas from 1.8 to 30 megahertz using as low as 2 watts QRP to 200 watts single sideband or CW. Whether you're rag chewing or contesting, the MFJ939 is learning your antenna and the way you operate by storing your settings in its 20,000 available memories. The more you use it, the better it will perform. For super fast matching, instant recall technology checks to see if you've used this frequency before, so tuning is instantaneous. Their exclusive virtual antenna memory system gives you 8 antenna memory banks of 2,500 memories each. By using an antenna switch, the MFJ939 gives you the ability to assign an antenna to one of 8 banks of 2,500 memories. Got a new transceiver? There's no need to buy a new tuner like you have to with some competing products. Just get a plug-and-play cable for your radio, and you are back on the air in no time. To see the MFJ939 and their full line of antenna tuners, visit MFJEnterprises.com today. So I know you've used a manual tuner all these years, and what do you think about it? Oh, it's, I don't know that I want to go back to the manual tuner. Really? Yeah. yeah, it's nice not to have to sit there and spin all that stuff around every time. It is pretty nice. It just just yeah. hit the button, and it just happens. You know, I use an auto tuner, well, when we did field day, and it sure saved a lot of time. It, it surprised me how fast it is. Mm-hmm. It's like like a fraction of a second, man, and it's it's done. Yeah. It's ready. So it's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. Well, we got a couple of emails here we want to do real quick before we get into the next segment. Um, I've got one that came from Brent, W5FRG, and he said, I just finished watching episode 78. Uh, Very entertaining. Sorry I wasn't uh, at Dayton this year. My last trip was in 2013. Maybe next year. He says he was surprised that nobody knew the answer to win the lab coat, especially the one about your old compadre Jim who, uh, by the way, is, has now earned the permanent title of Red Blaze Jim. Uh, since I missed out on the lab coats, I'll just have to try to win something else. Uh, do you have any ALTV Batman capes? I think we're fresh out of the Batman capes, aren't we? Yeah, maybe, maybe we need to get some of those at some point. Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> well, uh, as you saw, Brent, we've got some more of the lab coats here. Yeah. So uh, it's possible you could win one of those yet. We'll be telling you a little bit later in the show here how you can uh, enter to win possibly one of those lab coats. Somebody's going to win it. Yeah, somebody's going to win it. we got six of them to give away. We do? I well, think there's six. What is your next email here? Yeah, my other email is from John in McLean, VA. Now, what's VA? Virginia. Virginia. 
Virginia. It's on the East Coast? Yeah, that's right outside Washington, D.C. Ah, right. Peter, George and Tommy, I've been watching your show via Roku for a couple of years and have enjoyed it tremendously. I went through all 77 episodes. Wow, that's, a, that, that's an achievement, I can tell you. Mm-hmm. The VOA episode was great. You need to do the EW Museum in Baltimore. Peter, your passion for shortwave broadcast is shared. I loved listening to Radio Moscow and Radio Havana when young. Uh, funny as heck, Deutsche Welle, Taipei, Netherlands, BBC and UAE were a joy to listen to. Yes, uh, thanks, John. Um, it's, uh, yeah, we, we have a lot of fun making this show, um, and really it's just um, we're just showing off the things that we, we're doing at home and uh, uh, the things we get involved in. And um, so uh, hopefully uh, the fun that we're having rubs up off on, uh, on you and other, other viewers. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what we're doing. That's it. You know, you, you get on to something new or you find something you like to do, and you want all your friends to share it, too. Yeah. So, hey, John, join us in the fun. That's the secret to our success here is just, uh, uh, here, hold my beer and watch this. Yeah, basically. it must be working. We've got a 10-year anniversary coming up. We October. do. That's just hard to believe. That is hard to believe. And we'll have to really do something special for that. Yeah. Well, Peter... You've got a segment for us this month, uh, speaking of traveling. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Well, I'm actually not going to give an introduction to the segment. It's self-explanatory, as you'll see. But what I will say, though, is um, you'll see some drop frames in the first part of the segment. Don't, don't be too fussed about that. Uh, you'll see why a little later on uh, as we get to the end of the segment. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again. Well, as you can see, I'm not at home, uh, and no, I'm not in the city of Melbourne. I'm actually in the city of Adelaide in uh, central South Australia, or South Central Australia, depending on which, is, uh, which way you want to look at it. Now, uh, you might be asking, well, what am I doing over here? Well, I'm hoping to do some overseas travel later this year, but I've had a bit of a fear of flying, so I decided to come interstate uh, just for a day, just to uh, do a flight and build up my confidence a bit in terms of flying. Now, uh, the other reason I've come here is it's finals time in the soccer here in Australia, and I've come over here to see Brisbane play Adelaide uh, in a knockout uh, final tonight at the newly redeveloped Adelaide Oval, which I'm told is uh, absolutely stunning. Well, uh, anyway, uh, there's also a technological aspect to this trip, but I'll get to that a little bit later. I just want to show you quickly some of the sites around uh, Adelaide first. Adelaide is fortunate to have maintained a lot of its beautiful old architecture. This is the main railway station, part of which is now a casino. This is Parliament House, and just outside at the moment there's a protest going on, something to do with the Repatriation Hospital. And this is the Adelaide Festival Centre, which has quite a modern design. And here's another look at the newly redeveloped Adelaide Oval. It's surrounded by beautiful parks and gardens. There's even a bit of wildlife to see in the gardens. And here's a shot of the football crowd passing over the footbridge that links the railway station to the Adelaide Oval. Finally, here's a panorama of Adelaide Oval I made using three photographs and a program called Hug-In. 
Next day, after seeing Adelaide defeat Brisbane, it was time to go home, and I got a great photo of the Adelaide coast from high in the air. Well, that was a great trip to Adelaide. It's a beautiful city, and I can thoroughly recommend it as a holiday destination. In fact, the whole of Australia is a great holiday destination. Now, you're probably wondering, what's the technological aspect uh, to all of this? Because I normally do feature some kind of technology uh, in the segments I produce. Well, the answer is that all that you've just seen was actually shot on my mobile phone. Why? Well, for some time I've been interested in the idea of putting together a portable video kit, one that would be very small, very compact, and very, very light. So let's have a look at the hardware that I put together. The first bit of equipment is, of course, my mobile phone. Now, until recently, I didn't own a mobile phone at all. You might find that hard to believe, but it's really, really true. Uh, I just didn't see the need at all. But of late, I felt that the need from time to time to have a camera or a video camera on me. So that's where a mobile phone can be very, very useful. So I bought this. This is the Xiaomi Redmi Note 4G LTE version. It cost me about $200 and it's made in China. It's got a quad-core CPU, 2 gigabytes of RAM. It's got a 13 megapixel back camera and a 5 megapixel front camera and it will record in 720p. Uh, it'll do 4G and LTE. Uh, it's got a 5.5 inch screen. It's actually a phablet to be technically correct. And uh, it's got a display resolution of 1280 x 720. The 3200mAh battery is claimed to give a talk time of 6 to 8 hours. It's running a customized version of Android called MIUI, which is an absolute pleasure to use. Silky smooth. Very, very nice. Now, this is what I used to uh, take the video of, that, uh, of me talking in front of the Adelaide Oval initially. The audio that you heard, uh, or at least the initial audio, was recorded on this. This is an old iPhone 3GS that was uh, formerly owned by my daughter. And I used a headphone microphone combination and the uh, inbuilt uh, sound recorder app to actually record the audio at the same time that I was uh, recording the video. I've also got this little phone holder, which you can buy quite cheaply. Uh, you'll see that a tripod will screw into the bottom of this and it will hold your phone very still and very secure. Uh, which is very good if you uh, you know want to get a sweeping shot or use your tripod. The final bit of equipment uh, is this. It's a little cheap Bluetooth uh, switch for uh, turning the camera on when you want to take a photo. I had a few problems with this. I haven't quite worked it out yet, but uh, once I, I get it running, I'm sure it'll actually run uh, quite well. But uh, you know, it's a, a little Bluetooth switch like this. Um, can be uh, quite handy. Let's finish up with the learnings from my trip to Adelaide. The first learning is that you can use your mobile phone to make compelling videos. However, it's important that you understand the limitations of your mobile phone. I found that my video, which was taken on the high video setting, had a few dropped frames. 
Had I set my phone to medium quality, I would have taxed the CPU less and gotten a smoother video. The second learning is don't use the microphone on the Xiaomi Redmi. At one point I tried to record audio with it, but I found that the audio was poor with lots of artifacts. Finally, uh, one limitation of a mobile phone is that generally the high-resolution camera is on the opposite side of the viewing screen. In other words, the uh, LED or LCD screen is uh, on one side, but the highest resolution camera is on the other side. So framing yourself will be difficult. You might be better off doing video with the front camera, as at least then you can see yourself and frame yourself properly. Well, I think what we really want to know is you, you flew over there, didn't you? Yep. Uh, how was the trip? Good. Um, a little nerve-wracking. Was it a nail-biter? Um, possible. Sorry? A nail-biter? No. No, no not, not quite that bad. So cool. um, okay. I think the, the main thing for me was um, uh, I had some panic attacks back in the early um, 2000s mm -hmm. and uh, on a, for a big trip that I had planned to Europe at the time, and that had to be cancelled because of those attacks. But this time, none of that. So... Um, so it's given me the confidence to, you know, uh, I'll be shortly booking a uh, round-the-world trip. So, uh, and um, uh, with a little luck, hopefully we'll get over your way in early October. Man, all you got to do is get on that thing and put your earbuds in, turn the music yep. on, lay your head back, and go to sleep. And that's what I do. I do that, and yeah. then I'll, when I land, I wake up mm -hmm. and then get off the plane, and it's all over. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that's generally I sleep through them. Now, I used to you know have uh, uh be a little nervous about flying but I, I haven't been for a number of years now yeah i don't even think about it yeah. most time i don't even know when it lands it takes off yeah e even if i'm awake i just don't even think about it anymore at all yeah well it does kind of jar me when the when the wheels finally touch down on landing sometimes that'll kind of wake me up yeah <laughs> well we're going to be back in just a moment i've got uh something Something special I worked up here, Tommy, that's that's going to make you want one of those digital oscilloscopes. Oh, great. Get out and get mobile. Whether you're looking for a handheld, mobile, or HF rig, ICOM has a radio to get you operating on your next adventure. Take ICOM's IC7100 D-Star radio with you this season. An angled control head and touchscreen provide user-friendly operation. A large internal speaker delivers clear digital audio, and it's perfect for multiband and all-mode communications. Interested in easy hands-free operation when you hit the road? ICOM's analog IC2730A mobile and the D-Star ID5100A both feature optional Bluetooth capability, a large backlit screen for high contrast viewing, and 50 watts output power on both VHF and UHF. Go far with ICOM's D-Star Dual Bander, the ID51A+. Check out the Near Me repeater function for D-Star as well as analog repeaters. Free downloadable RSMS1A Android app plus integrated GPS. Hit the trail with ICOM's IC7410. This HF rig is solid in performance and construction. High-grade DSP, all-mode operation, easy menu and ergonomic dials, and large heat sink for a heavy duty cycle operation. Make sure you visit icomamerica.com slash amateur 
For more information on ICOM's complete line of amateur radio products. Well, Tommy, I told you I was going to make you want a scope. Yep. This project right here is something that our friend Mike, VE3MIC, came up with. Actually, he wasn't the first one to come up with it, but he's the one who kind of brought it to my attention and uh, got helped get well, things cool. together for it. I already it. want a scope. It's on the list. I'm just kind of behind a few other things. Well, here, just look at this then. Today we're going to build a little project with the help of our friend Mike, VE3MIC, who got the parts together and did the research for it. It's called the Scope Squid. Now, a lot of people call this an octopus, but Mike thought we should call it a squid because it looks more like a squid to him. To start with, we've got our box with the lid, and Mike has made a nice little label here to go on the front of it. What he did was took a piece of, I guess, self-adhesive paper, printed all the layout on it, all the decals, and then he laminated it with a clear sheet of MacTech. And we've got two BNC connectors on here, one to go to the vertical and one of the horizontal inputs of our oscilloscope. And we've got a place for two test probes. And we've got a couple of test leads here to go with it. What we'll do is hook a component across here, and then we can look on the scope and determine what that component is and some of the properties of it. Now, I've got several pieces of cable here. I've already tinned and got ready to go. These are actually RG-174, which is probably not necessary to have shielded cables on this, but Mike had a little piece, and he stuck it in the package, so that's what we're using. I've stripped them back, tinned them, and I've taken a little piece of the jacket, slipped over the shields there. You could have used heat shrink tubing for that, but I'll often use a piece of the jacket because it's good enough, and it's pretty heavy. Now, we've got a transformer here that was really made to be mounted on a printed circuit board, so Mike got kind of creative with that. We needed some way to mount it in the box here where it wasn't going to rattle around. He took a little piece of PC board and trimmed it to where it will fit the slots inside the box here just perfectly. And that will hold the transformer in place. Plus, it will give us a way to get connections to it. And to make the traces on here, what he did is took a little drill bit and a Dremel tool, and he routed the traces onto the board here. And he said it went amazingly easy. Good idea on that one. I mean, you wouldn't want to do any surface mount work with this kind of technique, but should work good for this case right here. Let's take a look at the schematic now. It's pretty simple. We've got a transformer here that puts out 6.3 volts. This one has two secondaries on it. We'll only need one of them. And we've got a 500 milliamp fuse. It's a Pico fuse that we're going to use here just for safety. We come out of the secondary of the transformer through a 560-ohm resistor. Then we're going to have a 100-ohm resistor that goes from a junction right there down to the horizontal input, which is the other side of the transformer. And then we've got two 2.2Ks that are in parallel with each other, connected from the line here, which is also on the vertical input of the scope to ground. Our red terminal will be right here on one side of the transformer, and our black terminal will actually be ground. And then these resistors just act as voltage dividers. Now let's put this together. It ought to go pretty simple, and then we'll have a look at it with the scope. To give us more time to play with this device, I've put it together here so that we wouldn't spend a lot of time soldering. You can see I've got the resistors mounted on the little piece of perf board here. 
all the wires connect to it. I've got a wire that goes over the transformer. There's the Pico fuse right there. And here's the 120 volts AC coming in. I'll take the transformer and slip it into the case. Now I'll slide the little perf board into its slot. And I've cut a notch here for the cable to go through to the banana plugs. Let's make sure that all our pieces of coax fit down in there good. Let's take a look at our scope squid in action now. I've got it connected to my Rigol DS1054 oscilloscope. I've got it connected to the first two inputs of the scope here. This particular scope has four different inputs. There's no horizontal input, though. You can select one of the regular four inputs here as being horizontal, and that's what we'll do. We've got the two outputs of the scope squid connected. We've got our two test leads sitting here for our component to be tested. And I've selected the XY mode on my scope here. Now, this scope is one of the newer digital scopes, and it allows us to do some measurements and see some things that we couldn't normally all see at once. Like right here, we're seeing just a regular oscilloscope-type display. We can see the sine wave there of the 60 hertz signal of the scope squid. That's the voltage. That's on channel 1 here. Okay, so yellow is voltage. The blue here is going to be the current that's connected on channel 2. You can see right now our leads are open, so we've got maximum voltage, and we have no current. If we short them together, now we can see that our voltage just dropped, and we've got current flowing. That's not triggering on it, but that's okay. We also notice down here on the XY scale, when our test leads are open, we've got a straight horizontal line indicating voltage. When we short the leads, we've got a straight vertical line indicating maximum current flow. So let's test a few components now. We'll start out with a resistor. Here is a 1K ohm resistor. Actually, there's four of them, and I just didn't want to take them off the tape reel there. All right, you'll see a slope here. That's because we've got some current flow and some voltage. If you look here, you can see that the current and the voltage are basically in phase with each other and about the same value there. Now let's put a 10K ohm on here, and we'll see a very slight shift in it. That's because there's not nearly as much current flowing on a 10K ohm resistor here. As you can see up here, the voltage is still quite high, and the current is just flowing a little bit. Let's move on now and check some diodes. On our first diode here, we can see that we've got an L-shaped pattern here. This is our voltage once we reach a certain point. The diode turns on, and it goes high. That's current flow. You can see it right here, the blue current flows. As the waveform swings positive, we can see the current start to flow, and the voltage is held down. As it swings negative, we can see that the current stops, and the voltage is allowed to swing negative, but when it swings positive again, it's limited, 
and we have current flow. So let's turn on our cursor now so that we can actually look at the voltage here. We'll go down to XY mode on it, and this is not something that you'll have on an analog oscilloscope. That's okay, though. It's not something you normally need. It's just a convenience. We can see right here the AX cursor or marker there is 400 millivolts. That's where this diode turns on at 400 millivolts. Let's go to the larger diode. Well, we can see it's turning on at a much lower voltage. If we roll our cursor down there, we'll see that one turns on around 80 millivolts. So, difference in the two diodes. But typically, what you're going to see when you've got a diode is this L-shaped pattern. Let's look at some capacitors now. Here's a 0.01 microfarad. We can see the beginnings of a lysergist pattern there, uh, a little bit of an oval. And you'll notice on the current, there's a slight twist in the current trace there. And the reason we don't have any more current than we do, and we've only got a slight oval there, is because a 0.01 microfarad capacitor doesn't conduct much at 60 cycles. So let's go on up here. Here's a 2.2 uh, microfarad. Let's see what it looks like. Here we've got a nice circular lysergist pattern. And it's easy for us to see the phase shift between the voltage and the current that the capacitor is introducing. Now let's move on up to a 47 microfarad and see what we've got. Okay, now you'll notice that the lysergist pattern is shifted vertically. You can tell it's a lysergist pattern, though. We've got the slight ovaling there. But what's happened up here is our voltage is kind of flattened out and the current is peaked up pretty high. That's because a 47 microfarad capacitor is going to conduct pretty good at 60 hertz. So that's what you would expect to see with some capacitors. Now it's going to vary depending on the frequency, but our scope squid works at 60 hertz. Let's take a look at some transistors. Here's a little 2N2222. We'll measure from the base to the emitter. And I can see I've got the little L-shaped pattern here. Like I had with the diode, that's what we'd expect. If we measure from the base to the collector, we've also got the little L-shaped pattern. So that's typically what you'd see with the transistor. If I try to measure between the emitter and the collector on here, I don't have anything. Let's check some other ones. There's some larger transistors here. This is a 2N3055, a fairly popular transistor. It's base emitter, and then the case is a collector. So we'll clip our lead here to the base. If we measure to the emitter, we see we've got that L-shaped pattern. If we measure down here to the collector, we've also got the L-shaped pattern. So that's telling me that this transistor is good. Now I just happen to have another 2N3055 that Obviously, must have been in the same project as this one because I'd put some insulation on the legs of both of those. So we measure from the base to the collector, and we've got our familiar L-shaped pattern. So we'd say, yeah, this is looking good. But now let's measure from the base to the emitter. Uh-oh, it's shorted. You notice the current's at maximum here, and the voltage is virtually flat there. I wish I had a Zener diode that I could show you, but... I don't have any, but there you go. A simple little component tester, the scope squid, 
While we really didn't zoom in and take a critical look at the voltages here, we were able to determine if our components were good and what the various type of components should look like. The scope squid, a handy little project. If you Google, you'll find just hundreds of schematics on different variations of this thing. I appreciate Mike, VE3MIC, taking the time to get the plans and the parts together for this. It's been a lot of fun. He's actually building one himself, and I think maybe I'll finish mine first, but we'll have to see. You ready to order that oh, scope? That's, that's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Yeah, it was pretty easy to make, too. It was, and one thing I did not mention there about it is that uh, you can do in-circuit testing with this thing. So, you know, if your components are mounted on a PC board, you can actually go measure them while they're in circuit, which you can't do with a lot of other test yeah, equipment. that's pretty cool. Now, I think you'd want the whatever you're testing not to be energized at the time, but still, uh, neat, yeah. neat little thing. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Well, we're going to be back in a moment, and uh, we've got a few things we want to talk about then, but first... Let's get a message from our brand new sponsor here. Who's that, Tommy? DX Engineering. DX Engineering recently welcomed Butternut Antenna into its family of products, including all of Butternut's acclaimed 2-band, 6-band, and 9-band vertical antenna designs. This means all Butternut vertical antennas are now manufactured and sold exclusively by DX Engineering. What's so special about these HF verticals? They're perfect for the operator who wants to get on the HF bands but can't spare the space for a Yagi, Dipole, or Log Periodic antenna. Each design will handle the full legal limit on most bands. The antennas are relatively easy to install and tune, yet offer exceptional HF performance. Each antenna comes bundled with a brand new installation manual chock full of construction photos and installation advice. There are three basic Butternut multiband HF vertical designs. Butternut's two-band vertical is an excellent 80-40 meter option, its 32-foot height and narrow profile lets it survive winds up to 60 miles per hour. An optional 160-meter add-on kit is available separately. Butternut 6-band vertical gets you on 80 through 10 meters. Its vertical radiator is only 26 feet tall, which means it will handle winds up to 80 miles per hour. Optional add-on kits for the work bands plus 160 and 6 meters are available too. The 9-band Butternut HF Vertical could be the most versatile antenna in DX Engineering's catalog. The antenna covers 80 through 6 meters with a radiator that's only 26 foot high, and an optional 160 meter add-on kit is available separately. Amateur operators have used Butternut's time-tested multiband vertical antennas for decades. Since they're now built and sold by DX Engineering, operators will enjoy the same performance enhanced by DX Engineering's stringent manufacturing processes and attention to detail. And don't worry, DX Engineering will still have all the upgrade and replacement parts you'll need to keep your Butternut vertical in tip-top condition. See all the Butternut vertical antennas at DXEngineering.com today. You know, I've got one of those butternut verticals, Tommy. Yeah. Yeah, it's not up right now. As a matter of fact, I've never put it up yet. I bought it used. I'm going to, but it's nice to know if I need parts for it that I can get them and where I can get them from. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we appreciate DX Engineering jumping on board with us here at Amateur Logic. It helps us bring you the show every month. And uh, hey, w without people like that, it'd be hard to do. Yeah, well, good chance we probably wouldn't still be doing it. That's yeah, a good chance. Well, let's get into our final round of emails here. Tommy, I think you've got one over there. I do have one. 
Thanks for the segment you did about the Thumb DV. It helped me bring my Thumb DV to life after I purchased it a week or two ago. Just so you can let everyone know, the WinDV software that's being tested also works on Windows 10 Tech Preview. I'm a big fan. Keep up the good work. 73 Raymond. And uh, I don't have, I haven't used Windows 10 Tech Preview yet. I haven't. But no. I did see that the final release date is uh, July 29th. That's coming up pretty soon. Yeah, it should be here before you know it. So I'm, I may actually dual boot uh, one of my Macs, play around with it. Yeah, you need to get Windows on that Mac so you can do some real work with it. I just changed my mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got one more email here, and this will be the last one for tonight. And This one was kind of uh, near and dear to my heart here, Tommy. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Uh, this came from uh, Tom Wilbeck, N5KGN. And uh, Tom said that... Um, this is his story of uh, his memories from Radio Shack. And he said, you know, perhaps it'll be useful uh, if you decide to do an amateur logic segment on our experiences of the once great electronics retailer. And I'm going to ask you all out there now have got some great Radio Shack stories or, or maybe a picture of a product that you once owned that you really like. Send those to me, uh, George at AmateurLogic.tv. We'd like to see those. And, and Tom sent us one here, but First, he said his earliest experience was looking at the book when the it was in the 1960s, and the address was Boston, Massachusetts on the catalog. Anyway, on his first trip to the Radio Shack retail store in 1968 in Austin, Texas, um, he said, what a wonderland for a, a teenaged electronics enthusiast. And, you know, that's probably, that's near the time that I went, to Radio Shack for my first visit too. Tommy. Oh yeah, it was a completely different store back then. It was mostly all pegboards and parts. Oh yeah, it was cool. It, it was really some cool stuff back then. But uh, he said he he found something there. You know, every month Radio Shack would advertise something special, and he found this volt-on meter right here. These were small and inexpensive, and he recalls that the sale price was less than five dollars just perfect for his budget and uh, he just had to have one so he got it he gave this vom to his father uh, years ago when he got a, a digital meter uh, one day he's cleaning out a drawer and his father found this old meter and gave it back to him it's still in the original box and he cobbled together some test leads for it that are similar to the originals and uh, while he's moved on you know with simpsons and flukes and amprode instruments uh, he still has a warm spot for this first Radio Shack VOM. You know, who didn't own one of these, Tommy? Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I remember those. Yeah, I owned one. Uh, we sold tons of those when I worked at a Radio Shack store. I think maybe they were around 10 bucks. Yeah. You know, we were talking about these these lab coats, Tommy. We've still got some of these we need to give away. The Amateur Logic and, well, with the ICOM logo on the front. So how do you think we're going to give those away, Tommy? Well, I was thinking about it. You know, a few minutes ago we said how DX Engineering's on with us now, and if it weren't for the sponsors that are mm-hmm. helping us bring the Amateur Logic every month, good chance we wouldn't still be doing it because the costs cost are getting were too getting high. Kind of high. So why don't we have them send in a list of the three current sponsors? The list changed last month, so mm-hmm. so the current sponsors, and then we can do a drawing from the people that have the right answers. Yep. So if you'd like to win or 
at least be considered to win one of these lab coats here, then send an email with the name of the three Amateurologic sponsors to labcoat at amateurologic.tv. You might win. We'll just do a random drawing of, uh, you know, of all the submissions. Yeah. Somebody's going to win. Yeah, and we'll do that, what do you say, for several months to come, Peter? Why not? Yep. Sounds like a good idea to me. Uh, well, speaking of apparel... You might ought to put your size in there as well in the email. My, yeah. So but, I don't know what sizes we've got here, but we'll do our best to get as close as we can. Yep. Yep. We may not get the size exactly right, but it's a collector's item, no matter what size it is. Yeah, but if you go without anything under it, make sure that it's at least the right size or bigger. <laughs> or longer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of apparel, we we might as well take a moment here to uh, talk about the Amateurologic Swag Store. You know, that's where you can get uh, your Amateurologic shirts and uh, caps, polo shirts, a lot of different Amateurologic stuff. ICOM set up that nice stage for us. And there was, well, we use this flagging tape here around it. Like to crime scene tape. Crime scene tape, yes. And we've got about, uh, oh, about 3,000 feet of this tape left here. And Tommy and I thought, you know, this would make some nice amateurologic neckties. So if you'd, if you'd like one of these, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure how we're going to distribute them yet. We're going to put them on the swag shop store, so... Okay, yeah, it'll be on the swag store. It's the official Amateurologic plastic necktie. <laughs> we're, we're trying to come up with uses for it. Yeah. Uh, you what, know, is it sticky on one side? No, it's like crime scene tape. Like you see, it says oh, police line or whatever. It's not like duct tape. No. no, not like duct tape. We wouldn't have it probably stuck around our necks here if it was. But... Yeah, we need to get this to some clubs or yeah. something. You they're, know, yeah, could, they're not microphone friendly, so we should probably take them off. Yeah, we probably <laughs> should. Uh, let's see. I think we we probably need to wind this one up. Yep. Now, where can you see amateur logic? We're in all the right places. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Here. <laughs> I've got the jaws of life. Yeah, come on, man. Get me out of this thing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, that was... Uh, <laughs> well... That, I was going to say that was painful, but no, me bumping the uh, yeah, volume level for my earphone over here yeah, wide open. Yeah, listening to it probably was pretty painful, too, so... <laughs> So where can you see Amateur Logic, Tommy? Well, we're on YouTube. You can go to our download page and download one of many, many formats. different formats yeah. we've got. Uh, we probably put out more formats than almost anybody, I think, anymore. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that's, those are the main spots. And, and the Roku. Roku. And yeah. I'm working on the Amazon Fire channel. Yes. That's so hopefully a, by next uh, month I'll have that going. Uh, I, did you say iTunes? You did. No, I didn't say iTunes. Okay. iTunes. But iTunes. Anywhere that uh, better ham radio video podcasts are found. Yep. We're pretty much everywhere. Yep. And Looking forward to that Amazon Fire channel. I am, too. You know, I'm probably going to have to get one of those devices so I can see what it's all about. Yeah, I don't have one either, but I'm, I'm going to get one. And uh, anyway, I think... Uh, 
they're fairly popular. I know a lot of people I work with actually have them. They do? Yeah. yeah. Well, let's have a net, say, June 22nd? 2015? 2015. All right. Let's do it at 8.30 p.m. Central Daylight Time. I'll be there. Where will you be? I'll be on the Do Drop In conference server, Star Do Drop In Star. And that would be node 355 You've got it memorized, too. It's got it tattooed. Tattooed. Yeah. Okay. Also, if you would like to uh, learn more about Amateur Logic TV or keep up with us through the month, then you can go to one of our social media sites here, uh, with Facebook, uh, Google+. You can follow us on Twitter. Yep, at Amateur Logic. At Amateur Logic. There's a lot going on in these groups that uh, you might want to uh, become a part of and just, just keep up with things yeah. throughout the yeah, month. Yeah, they're, they're fairly active. It's a lot of fun stuff on there. It is. Well, we appreciate everyone being here. It's been another fun episode, and uh, we'll be back next month, same time. Don't know what we're going to do yet, but... Uh, it'll probably be something about field day. I would very likely guarantee could. that. Yeah, I would. I would kind of think it would too. Peter, any uh, final thoughts before we depart? I did see a post from somebody mentioning that in I think it's the twentieth of June there is a VHF UHF field day in Australia. So uh, for any Australians who want to participate in that, that uh, check check that out. Yeah, good idea. Absolutely. Tommy? Just, uh, we'll see you next month. Uh, we will so. see you next month. Mm-hmm. All right, 7-3. Thanks for Se- joining us. 7-3, everybody. Peter, and as you used to say, <laughs> you can see, Peter, Peter joined us live. Peter was there. Man, Peter, if you moved just a tad, that would be an almost perfect match for a raised body under you. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's Joe Walsh, uh, WB6. Oh, man. I shouldn't have said that because I can't think, come up with this call right now. Oh. 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 There's Sam like now. My wife is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my wife is chasing my cat. Just. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> one second. It came on May the seventh. <laughs> <laughs> it's um. It's live. You know, you just don't get this much cat activity yeah. in the edited version. <laughs>